Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. Thank you for adding another day in our lives, Lord. Watching over us, preserving us, keeping us, protecting us, providing for us, empowering us, Lord. It's all from you, Father. We just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for Rabbi Moses today, Lord, as he enters into a new day, Lord. We bless him in your name, Father. We pray the hand of God would rest upon him all the days of his life. You know the home he comes from. His parents do not believe what we pray, Lord, they too will be touched one day. And they too would believe the God of the Son, Lord. The Son believes. And I pray the parents will come through one day, Lord. There would be no greater gift he can receive, Lord, than to see his parents saved, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, thank you. We commit everyone, Lord, who is not well, Lord, in the body of Christ. We continue to rebuke that spirit of infirmity and command it to leave the body of Christ, Lord. Lord, that you would touch them and you would heal them, Lord. Even as the word go forth and as they listen, I pray the word of God would go forth and heal them of their infirmities, Lord. And touch everyone who's troubled in the mind. For the word of God bring peace, Lord, and rest to our souls, Lord. Open ears we pray for today, Lord. Understanding mind, Father, we pray, and the heart to believe. We come at this time into the hands. Teach us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we go back to Saturday's teachings. And, uh, oh, there's some other birthday also today. Somebody's hiding over there. It's Swapna's birthday. Lord bless Swapna too, Lord. Okay. Okay. The bald and the beautiful are here. <laughs> and the pretty one is in the lap. Okay. So Swapna, happy birthday. God bless you. And keep you all the days of your life. And bless your husband and bless your baby. So today, as we have been looking, the ones who are saved, we come together always to learn. Because when we come into the house of God, the church is a classroom. When God's people meet, it is a classroom. And also it's a hospital. Because only when we come into the classroom, we learn our deficiencies. Deficiencies. The ideal healthy man is Christ. And when it comes to our health, spiritual health, we are all, uh, it's more like a, what you call it, a radiology department. <laughs> and our deficiencies are being shown. And God does not condemn hospital. There is no condemnation. Only you have to pay through your nose. But here in the house of God, it is free. God heals. God shows. God convicts. God heals. So that we can become more and more like the son. So that we can be like the father. We learn about the father. We learn about our father. About the kingdom of God. And more as we live down over here, remember, <clears throat> as we live this life out of there, there is conflict. Conflict, because like we know, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. That is 1 John 5.19. But that conflict itself is life. We have, we've been looking at Saturdays, like Peter had said, we have to keep on adding. It all begins with faith. We believed. By faith, the grace of God came in, saved us. 
we have to keep on adding to that faith. Peter would say virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. And he just gave a list there, but there's so many things we have to keep on adding, which is who God is. It's the nature of God. The thing is that if we keep adding these things, is the sound picking up? It's okay, right? Keep adding these things. Second Peter, verse 10 and 11 says that we can make our call and election sure. Our footing very, very sure because a lot of people, no? one of the reasons, a uh, lot of believers who are actually saved, when they fall, they start doubting their salvation. It's because we are not making our election and calling sure. Even when you go farther and farther in the Lord, when you, when you're, even when you're very sure, when you fail, you fall, you will never doubt your, your salvation. That's David. David has fallen like no man has fallen. <laughs> but he doesn't doubt his salvation. Because by the time he has added all these things, but for a season he went away into darkness. He doesn't doubt his salvation. He only says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And he's very sure, even when the judgment of God goes through his home and his child dies, he says, you know what, he's not coming back to me, but I will go to him. Okay, this is what the Bible is talking about. Okay, that you can make your election and your calling so sure that in times of darkness, you do not doubt that. You do not doubt your salvation. Okay, and the thing is that when that day comes, whether he comes to take us or we die to go meet him, a rich entrance will be given to us. A rich entrance. We can be absolutely confident like Paul and the apostles were when death was so coming very close. They were very confident of the reception that you will receive on that side. Like we said, death is inevitable. We are not preparing for death. We are preparing for judgment. Okay? Judgment not in the negative sense, but in the positive sense. Okay? If there is no judgment after death, death doesn't make any sense. Okay, like let's talk about children sitting here. If there is no results declared after exams, then exams doesn't make any sense. Nobody would prepare for the exams. Okay, if the if the government announces okay, um, class ten board exams, but results won't be announced, then what are you preparing for? Are you preparing for okay? So death is not the issue. Death is not the issue, because God has said after death there is something called judgment. So we are not preparing for death. We are preparing for judgment. Okay? When rewards will be given out. And then we look and see rewards are given off for a person. What we have become in Christ. Or what we allowed Christ to become in us. Both. What we have become in Christ and what we allowed Christ to become in us. So remember, we, over the weeks we saw one of the fundamental things is that we need to be doctrinally sound. Why? Because it is the doctrine of Christ. Who God is. Who God is. This is who God is. How do, how much do I measure with that image? That's what the Holy Spirit says. And he doesn't condemn. He convicts and says, okay, keep changing. Keep changing. That's what Jesus came with. He came with grace and he came with truth. What is truth? The doctrine of God. Who God is. What is grace given for primarily after salvation? It is given to become like God. Become like truth. Okay? Simple. So we saw be doctrinally sound, be self-controlled. We saw be at peace. And what peace does when we are at peace? Be hospitable, right? 
two weeks back, we said, be hospitable. Why? Because we said, that's what God is. God is a very hospitable person. And Jesus on earth, beginning in his ministry in John, ending his ministry on earth in John, he's a very hospitable person. Okay? And hospitality is something about God. So God tells us, are we hospitable persons? And last week we say, said, be good. Simple. Why? Because God is good. Be good. The goodness of God. Okay? Be good. Be good to all people. Be good. Today we will look at another very major issue. It won't be finished in one Saturday, but we'll try to do it in two Saturdays. It's a too big a subject. Titus 1.8. <clears throat> okay, we are looking from Titus because Titus, in that letter, Paul will say what we need to be. Be hospitable. A lover of what is good. Sober-minded. We looked at it, self-control or sober-minded. We will come back to sober-minded because it's more than being self-control. Just. Okay. Some I want you to go back to those titles and turn it to be B, this thing. It's not the B attitudes, but B, okay? Be sound in doctrine. Be self-controlled. Be at peace. Be hospitable, okay? Be, be at peace. You don't have to change because this was a Sunday message, okay? Be hospitable. Be good. And today's would be B, okay? Be just. It's a major, major issue in life. It's a cry of every person. From the time Abel died, the blood of Abel has been crying out for justice. Okay, it's a cry of human soul after the fall. Okay, it's only thing our sense of justice is warped. Sense of justice is what? But it is the cry of the human soul. Everywhere what you are seeing, the movements, it's all connected with the one justice. Okay, and the Bible says God is just. And it demands his children to be just. But we are not looking in the way uh, the world looks at it. We have to look at it in a completely different picture about what it means. So we'll just look at the basics today. Being holy is doing basically our duty towards God. Being just is basically doing our duty towards man. Okay? Understand that. When we are being holy, it is towards God. When we are being just, it is towards man. Holy is who God is. Righteous is or just is his actions towards his creation. It all begins with Romans 5.1. It all begins with God first. Therefore, having been justified by faith, it all begins. Our quest, genuine quest of justice. The world will never understand. That's how the devil traps people. He gives them issues. He gives them causes. And if you look at the root cause or the root of that cause, it is always a cry for justice. But unjustified people cannot truly cry out for justice because in the quest of justice, they will do more harm. There is violence, there is burning, there is looting, and there is more injustice. So whether you see the the movement in U.S. called Black Lives Matter or you see the riots taking place in South Africa, you know, unbelievable riots taking place and looting taking place in South Africa, it's all cry for justice. Okay. And if you know, there it is targeted. Black Lives Movement is targeted at the system. And uh, South Africa, interestingly, it is targeted against Indians. Shops that are being looted are primarily Indians because the, the, the 
Africans over there, the black Africans in South Africa think that the Indians, primarily two families called the Guptas, were involved in much of the corruption connected with the previous dispensation. So, okay, whatever. But you will see always when unjustified, unredeemed people, even unsaved people, when they are not spiritually mature in their quest of justice, they will bring lot of harm. Lord of harm. And we are all guilty of it. We all have done it. Okay? We all have done it. That's when um, you have violent husbands and violent wives and violent children and all these things happen. But basically the, the thing is that a sense of justice. Okay? So it is not a small thing. It is a major thing. Major thing. Okay, we can have a warped sense of justice. That's what the devil does. When Cain kills Abel, it's a warped sense of injustice. He feels God has been unjust to him. You can't take it out on God, so it's a misdirected anger. You take it on your brother. Okay, so please understand it is not a small thing, it's a huge thing. So when God redeems us, redeems us, the first thing is that he has to make us just. With him, he has to make us just with him. So that is the first act of God. By faith, we are justified. And because of that, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Why is it so important? Because this is the nature of his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. For to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness. The scepter of God's kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. Okay? God is just. Therefore, he brings out justice. And the end result of justice is righteousness. Okay? You cannot have righteousness without justice. And you cannot have justice unless a judge is just. We have unrighteousness in the world because the people in power, in authority, whether they are leaders in the political system or in the bureaucratic system or the justice system, they are unjust men and women. And if you look at Ezekiel, you don't have to go over there, When but the Bible talks about God looks for a man to stand in the gap so that his judgment shouldn't come, his wrath. It's because the entire system has become unjust. From the kings to the people, everybody has been corrupted. So God is looking for somebody. So finally the tipping point comes. God has to judge. So he's looking for one man who would stand in the gap. And that man becomes God himself, God's own son. So the wrath of God does not have to be poured in before it's time. So the beginning of salvation, we are made just. <clears throat> and now the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Because when we live by faith, when the just learns to live by faith, that is the only way we can bring about the righteousness of God. I told you, just, justice, righteousness. And the only way you and I can bring forth the righteousness of God in our lives and through our lives, the righteousness of God into other lives is living by faith. The minute we step to sight, we bring forth injustice. And unrighteousness. One of the reasons God calls us to live by faith is because that's the only way the righteousness of God will come. So God is just in everything he does. We may not feel it so. Even 
when we do not feel he is working. What is he working? Justice. Is working righteousness. One day we will see it. One day we will say, like, like Moses, all your ways were right. Now we will say, Lord, it is not right. Why are you so delayed? He says, don't worry, I'm still working. I'm working out justice and righteousness. So in everything he does, he is righteous and he is just. So even if we do not feel it now, and we may feel like all children say and all people say, especially young people say, it is so unfair. Yes. Okay. But he's working it out. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4 will say, 32 verse 4 will say, yeah. I gave it, right? I didn't give it. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I had given it. Yeah. He is the rock. His work is perfect. And all his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Okay. I mean, all superlatives. Superlative. And one day we will all see it. When is the day? That day is called the day of judgment. On the day of judgment, all of creation will agree. God is just. Justice has come. The righteousness of God will be fully manifested to all creation. All of us will see and experience the judgment of good or bad. We will experience it. Now understand this about God, unlike us, about God, and why he wants us to become like him. Justice is not an external system to which God tries to follow. Like in U.S., they have a justice department. It's not an external system. You have Indian Penal Code, IPC. So when you go to the court, they follow something that is external. So you have unjust people sitting on the bench, but for justice to happen, they are called to follow a penal code. A set, a codified thing is given. But even when the codified thing is given, they really do not know the truth. They really do not know. Then you have all these lawyers who are only looking for loopholes. The prosecutor wants maximum sentence for everything. The defense lawyer wants to get out the biggest crook also. He wants to get him scot-free. And everybody, but the judge does not even know what is true or what is false. Everything is connected with the evidence produced. And the fact of the matter is on this side of eternity, nobody really knows what is true. Only God does. But God, when he is judging, he is not looking at an external set of standards. Okay? Justice is not a standard God tries to follow. He is the standard. He is. That is why God says, he is just. He is truth. He is truth. Righteousness and justice flows from who he is. Let's just look at a few verses to establish this truth. Psalm 97 and verse 2. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his truth. Of his throne. Of his throne. That's the foundation of his throne. And when God says that, it is absolutely true. It is not like India. India has the three lions over there. Satyameva Jayate. Now, that is a very good ideal to follow. But the problem is this ideal is given to fallen men. And from the first ruler onwards of independence India to all those who took care of it, 
the ones who started were much closer to the truth. And further, as we go down to the day of judgment, the rulers also go further and further. And that's the nature of sin. Okay, that's the nature of sin. As we come closer and closer to the day of judgment, we are falling, the world is falling away further and further away from the truth. But the church, the being redeemed should be getting closer and closer to the truth. The church and the world cannot be in the same direction. Further and further. But you see, the apostate church is going further and further, further away from the truth, accepting lies as truth and calling evil good. So you look at it and you realize that apostate church is going further and further away from truth. And as you move further away from truth, you're becoming less and less just. You have injustice and unrighteousness. Okay, that's how it works. Proverbs 29 and verse 26. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Isaiah 30 and verse 18. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is God of justice. And blessed are all those who wait for him. In Psalm 37, the psalmist David will say, wait, wait, wait. Okay, he says, wait, he will make the justice of your cause. One day on the day of judgment, as like the noonday sun. Noonday is when the sun is the brightest. You can see everything clearly. He says, one day we will see justice like the noonday sun. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 5. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails. But the unjust knows no shame. Every morning he brings his justice to his light. If God truly brought his justice to light in our lives in the morning, what is our response? Your mercies are new every morning. Understand that. If we haven't sought his mercy and celebrated his mercy, it is because the light of his justice we never sought and we it never. We saw the sun rose, but the sun of righteousness did not rise in our lives. When the sun of righteousness rises in our lives, the Bible says he comes with healing under his wings. He doesn't come to condemn and to destroy. For his children who receive that light, receive that mercy and the righteousness, what comes into a life is healing. And the Bible says you will go out. We will not go down the day with our heads down, depressed. We will go out like calves released from the stall. We will have a skip in our walk because, we, you know, you know what? I received mercy. I haven't declared righteous. I have accepted his judgment in my life. I acknowledge my wrongs. He is merciful. I received his mercy. I entered into his presence. I have received grace and it has brought healing into my life. And you go out every day fresh. This is the pub. This is the way. Okay. This is the way. These are the ways of God. Okay, yet it's not a contradiction, okay? God does justly. He's always just and he loves mercy. It is not a contradiction. It is not a contradiction, okay? God loves justice. God loves righteousness. He loves mercy. It is in God, it is not a contradiction, okay? Let us see how God works it out, how God is just. Romans 3 and verse 23. Okay. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means we all have come down the righteousness of God. We are unrighteous and our righteousness is like filthy rags. If my righteousness is like filthy rags, then what do I compare my unrighteousness with? Right. 
our righteousness is like filthy rags. What do we compare our unrighteousness with? And we all have sinned. Okay. Okay. Before a holy and a righteous God. And God's solution is what Paul gives over there. We are very familiar, but a lot of people are not still familiar. I haven't got the concept yet. Okay. Verse 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The only way we can be justified by a righteous God is by the redemption that is available freely in Christ Jesus by his grace. That's grace. You are saved by grace through faith. You have to receive it. It is free. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. You cannot work for it. You cannot do anything about it. That's why the gospel is good news to the poor, the weak, and the sinner. And it is bad news to the strong, to the rich, and to the righteous. It's bad news. It's good news to the poor, to the weak, and to the sinner. It is at the cross that the justice of God, the truth of God, and the mercy of God all meet. Only at the cross. There is no point in eternity and no other place where all of them meet perfectly. Only at one place. It is at the cross. Till the cross, till the cross happens, meaning when till Jesus is hanging on the cross, God has actually held back the fury of his wrath. Though we see judgments before, he never released his fury the way his righteousness demands until the cross took place. In his love, which is primarily kind and long-suffering. So when Paul, you know, the, the revelation the Holy Spirit gives him, he says, love is kind and suffers long. So God in his long-suffering and in his kindness has held back his fury all these years, for 4,000 years. Each time he released his judgment, you will always see the world had reached a tipping point. Each time he released. In the Noah's flood, Genesis 6, 5 and 11. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intent of his thoughts was only evil continually. And as a result, the earth was full corrupt. And the earth was filled with water. There's come that tipping point, meaning every thought and every action was violent. When it comes to that point, God has no choice but release his wrath, his judgment. When it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah too, you need to realize. And even during the time of Noah, God still extends his mercy for year after year after year, after up to maybe up to 120 years. And then again, seven more days. So his justice and his mercy goes together. In Sodom and Gomorrah's case, you know how God, how God is. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very great, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. If not, I will know. He has heard. He knows. He's all see. But he says, you know what? Still don't want to destroy that people. I will go down there. And experientially prove that my judgment is right. So what is happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, which are like gateway cities in that plains? Nobody can go into those cities without getting molested or raped. 
It's men who travel, but they are sodomites. So God says, you know what? I need to go and see and prove that when I judge this city, they are right. And you will see that's exactly what happens with the two men. That is, the angels has men. They want them. And even their blindness is not going to stop them. And they are searching for the door and trying to break down the door. And God is trying to tell us that, you know what? When I destroyed those cities, I had they had reached their tipping point. Tipping point. They had reached their tipping point. So you need to understand how long God waits. In his justice, he is merciful. Then, if you look at the case of Egypt, he waited and waited and waited and waited. Ten plagues. Ten plagues. All he's asking is, just let my people go. And they said, no. King says, no. It's only when the firstborn of all of Egypt is dead, they are willing to go. And even after that, they go after to destroy. So God will always prove when he proves. Even Why is it important is because when God finally judges us in our own lives, he will, re- he will tell us, you know what, you tipped my hand finally. You tipped my hand. I was so long suffering with you and kind through it all. But you know what, finally you tipped you tipped. And he's also teaching us, because this is all basically, he's saying, you know what? You need to be like me. My justice and my mercy go together. Be kind and long-suffering. And wait until the Holy Spirit says, okay, the tipping point has come. Don't jump. Be like me. And it's not a very easy thing to become like him. In Canaan too, and Israel goes, okay, let me tell you, in Noah's time, only one household was saved. Only household. If you study the book of Joshua, only one household was saved. Only. The Gibeonites got in through deception. Only one household was saved from the sword of Joshua, Rahab and her household. Everybody else who went to battle with Israel was destroyed. Was destroyed. But if you look at Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16, you will see the reason is this. In the fourth generation they shall return here for the iniquity of Amorites is not yet complete. By then they have reached their tipping point. That they know the God of Israel. They know what they have done to, Israel, uh, to Egypt. They have done to all the... But not a single person will ask for mercy. Mercy. Not a single person. And that's what will happen during the judgment about the world. They will not repent. In spite of everything that is happening, heart, and God will allow man to go that way. I have a feeling, I have a feeling, you know what, one of mankind's signs, mankind's greatest pursuit is been for immortality from old days. How to be immortal. I mean, physical death, right? I have a feeling God will allow man, I may be wrong, I will, God will allow man to find it. Because when the judgment comes, they want to die, but they cannot die. They cannot die. The Bible says they looked for death, but they could not die. So you want immortality? Have it. Have it. Have it. When the wrath of God is poured upon planet earth, you know what? The kings and the people, they want to die. They cannot die. They want to die. Even if you hang yourself, you don't die. Even if you shoot in your head, 
you don't die. Okay. You understand the justice of God. Okay. Then on the cross, you know what he did? He released his fury of his wrath against sin, against injustice on his own son. Took his hands off, poured it upon his son. Okay. And then he looks at us with mercy. That's Psalm 86 and verse 15. Okay, his wrath is fully satisfied on the cross. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy. And the truth is put only at the end. <laughs> okay, truth only put at the end. Compassion, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy, and in truth. We will put truth in the beginning. When God says, if I put truth in the mind, none of you will survive. None of you will survive. Okay. Now what God is saying, everyone who looks to Jesus, they can be saved. Anyone and everyone who looks to Jesus, it doesn't matter. The quantum of your sin does not matter. Look at the quantum of solace. Okay. I think that is. Okay. You don't have to look at it. Just turn to him. Just look at him. And repent and believe. That's all God asks. Okay. All that. That is. Romans 3 and verse 26. Right. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. What is he demonstrating? He's, he's demonstrating not his mercy, but first his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. When he pours his wrath upon Jesus, he's saying, you know what? I'm proclaiming to you, I am a just God. I cannot overlook injustice. So I am punishing sin in my son. And he's a justifier of anybody who looks at Jesus. Any sinner who looks upon Jesus will be justified. Because he will only accept the sacrifice of, of his own son as full payment. Therefore, he can re- forgive the repentant sinner at the same time, maintain his righteousness. Therefore, the cross is the most just and the most loving and merciful act ever in history. The most just act and the most loving act, both is the cross. Merciful act. That is why faith in Jesus is so important. Look at verse 25 and 26. It is so important. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over sins that were previously committed. For 4,000 years he passed over. He didn't destroy the whole world. So by faith, verse to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's where it comes. So the only answer to mankind is you believe in what God has done in through Jesus Christ that he has poured out his wrath upon him so that he doesn't have to pour it upon you and me and accept only that we are justified. Okay? One man of God said it this way. The God of this universe decided not to give us what we deserve. That is death. Instead showed mercy. But was even more went beyond mercy and showed grace. Mercy would have been says, okay, 
forgiven, but still guilty. That's not what he said. He said, not just forgiven, he made us guiltless, made us righteous, just like him. So now, before Christ, we only sinned against God's righteousness. Now we sin more against his righteousness, his mercy, his love, and his grace. Okay? Therefore, the doctrine of God's justice and the doctrine of God's wrath cannot be disconnected. They go together. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, the Bible says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. It's a day set. It's a day of righteousness. It's a day of justice. It's a day of judgments. So like I said, we are being prepared for that day. Okay? Because we often hear it is not fair. That's one thing people will say, right? That innocent people are sent to hell. But that's a lie. There are no innocent people in hell. Nor are there any innocent people on earth. All have sinned. If God is not a God of wrath, then his love, his mercy is more, it's mere sentimental. If God is not a God of wrath, his love is very sentimental. It is meaningless. His love has no meaning. Okay. By the way, please understand, God's wrath is not a fit of anger. It is the expression of his holy love and his holy righteousness. Why? Because Ephesians 2, 5. <clears throat> by nature, by nature, 2, okay, uh, it's not 2, 5, it is. By nature, we are children of wrath. Yeah, it is uh, not 2, it is, it's there. It's, I think it's 2, 4, right? Three, yeah. Two, three, yeah. Yeah, by nature. <clears throat> Among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature. What we were by nature? Children of wrath, just as the others. We were children of wrath. In Romans one eighteen, what is being revealed? Yeah, one eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Okay? And Romans 2, 5, it's like a dam. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That day is what? The bank will burst and the God's wrath will be poured upon. Romans 14, 19 and 20. Therefore, let us... No, not Romans. It's Revelation. Did I give you Romans? It's Revelation. Yeah. It's Revelation. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered the grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. 
What did the Bible say? They were trampled in the wine press outside the city. And the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's burdles for a distance of 1,600 stages. That's how the blood will flow for 1,600 miles. The, the, the burdle of the horse will be distant. There will be a river of blood that will flow in the wrath of God. Why? Because the wrath of God was poured upon his son outside the city. They did not receive it. Now God's people are in the city and the wrath of God is poured upon the people who are outside the city who refuse to receive the mercy of God. Okay, so there, so we have to understand this. Otherwise we will not understand what does the justice of God mean. Ultimately it will come. So God is just, righteous, and ultimately justice will prevail. Either one will pay for his sins in hell and justice will prevail. Or one repents and accepts Christ as his substitute so you can be saved and justice will prevail. Either way justice will be prevailed. Okay? That is John 3.16 and 17 and 3.36. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Everyone who does not believe on God, even now the wrath of God is abiding on them. It's only on that day it will be manifested. But right now it is abiding in them. Only thing they do not see it. So, now we have seen the justice of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. No? What is our response? Our response. Once we have been justified, we have experienced the mercy of God. We did not deserve it. And the grace of God, the blessing of being justified, not just forgiven, but declared righteous, made the sons and daughters of God. What should be our response? Micah says it best in Micah 6 and verse 8. Micah says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does God require you? First, be good. Okay? Do justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. So we will leave the rest and we look at this fact. Be just. Okay? Be just. And to love mercy. Why? Because justice and mercy have to go together. Always have to go together. Until the day of wrath, it will go together. On the day of wrath, mercy will be taken away. There will be only justice because you have filled the cup. That's why James 2 and verse 13 will say, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. Till the day of judgment, mercy will always triumph over judgment. God does not judge us. He will save people in the last breath also if they cry out, he will save them. Like the thief in the one side is only one story. But the, the human history is filled with stories like that. Full of stories where God people saves people. They haven't done anything to deserve, just to believe. But that is how we were all saved. <laughs> our problem is after being saved and done few good things, we think we deserve our salvation. God says, you know, there's no difference between you and me and the thief on that cross. We were all served by God's mercy alone. Everybody, one of us, 
Okay, everyone. Therefore, when we live life out, God says, you know what? You have to be very, very careful how you deal with people. That mercy should always triumph over judgment. Mercy. Okay. So what does it mean? In our dealings with one another, try always to be just. Then get it. Let me put a... In my dealing with others, I should always try to be just. In others' dealings with me, I should always try to be merciful. Okay, But we invert it. In others' dealing with me, we want justice. But in my failings with you, please be merciful. God says, no, that's not the way I deal with you. I'm always just with you. And when you keep on sinning, I'm always merciful towards you. That's who God is. That's who God is. Now we need to understand who is God. He's always just. He's always righteous. He's always kind. He's always compassionate with us. He's always. But we towards him, most of the time we are unjust. And how does God react? He's merciful. So God says, be just and love mercy. They have to go together. You cannot have one without the other until the day of judgment. You cannot have. Leave it to God. Okay, Leave it to God. So God says, in your dealings with others, always jive. Let let me use the other word for just, because just will immediately think about the judge sitting in a British coat with his funny hair and robe and all. No. In your dealings with others, always be fair. We like that word. Not fair and lovely, but fair. Be fair. Because we want everybody to be fair with us. So be fair in your dealings with everybody else. Fair, impartial, kind, loving, whatever words you want to use there. But in their dealings with towards you, always show mercy. Give them doubt. But the umpire doesn't give the benefit of doubt. Always. Give them the benefit of doubt. Be merciful. Why? Because that is who God is. That is how God deals with us. Exodus 34, 6. We have seen this over and over again. Powerful verses. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. That's who God is. Who? Towards us. Towards us. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth. You see, Peter, who was a very short-tempered man, young man, was big on justice. (laughs) That's why when they came to arrest Jesus, he took the sword. The reason he took the ear off is because he couldn't get the head. He was aiming at the head. (laughs) Honestly, nobody cuts the ear off when you're trying to. He was aiming his head, he missed and got the ear. And Jesus said, put the sword back. Okay, they were all big on justice. They wanted to bring fire down on the Samaritans. You know, they were all hot-tempered young people walking with just big on justice. Okay, okay. They were not followers of Jesus. They were followers of the Greek god Zeus, who sends lightning. Okay, okay. That's why he allowed them to fail. All of them. So they would appreciate God's mercy towards them. 
Okay, appreciate God's mercy towards them. All of them failed. Terribly. We only talk about Peter. Everybody failed. They all ran. The most loving and kind John was the one who left his clothes and ran. <laughs> Just ran. Okay, so they all failed miserably. He allowed them. You all wanted justice, right? You abandoned me. You knew I was just. You abandoned me. You betrayed me. You ran away. You want justice? You want mercy. And when he comes, his first words are words of mercy, peace. I got nothing against you. I'm extending mercy. I know who you are. Okay? When I told you, you worm Jacob, I meant you. So the same Peter who has experienced the mercy of God will teach us, okay, how to live in an evil and unjust world which is in the grip of the wicked one. First Peter chapter 2. What credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take patiently? He says no. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. He says you are living in an unjust world. It's not an eye for an eye. It's not a tooth for a tooth. It is good for evil. It's not, if somebody is unjust to you, you give it back unjust. No, you show mercy and you show grace. You have to go beyond mercy to show grace because that's how God deals with us. He does not only show us mercy, he also shows us grace. For to this you were called. We were called to this. It's a calling. What is that? Because Christ also suffered for us, living as an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in back. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Who committed himself to him who judges righteously. So he says, you know what, I won't take justice in my hands. I'm going to leave it to you. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He says, he has shown you a way. And he says, healing is in that way. That's what the Bible says, when the son of righteousness rises with healing under his wings. Oh Lord, rise. He says, go this way. This is the way of justice and mercy. To others, be fair. And when they are unfair to you, show mercy. He says, you will be healed. Healing will rise upon you. This is the way of righteousness. This is the only way to live. On the other hand, when they punch you, you punch back. He says, you will always be bruised. You will be always be broken. And you will not know what the healing of God is. You will not know. You will be always fighting your enemies, like the children of Israel. One side sword, one side brick. Always enemy. He says, here you don't have to. You don't have to fight flesh and blood. You don't have to. You can walk in your healing. And healing is in a way. And God has shown the way. It's a way of justice. To them, you do good. And when they do bad in return, you show mercy. And you go beyond that point and show grace. If you have an opportunity, he says, feed your enemies. Feed your enemies. When you are praying, put your enemies on the list. Bless them. Bless them. Bless your enemies. Bless your enemies. Okay. We have to get this in your mind because this is fundamental principle of the gospel of grace. Why can't we show it? Because we all received it and receives it every day. Because that's what our father is. Then 
That's what Jesus told in the, in the gospel in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Then you will be true sons of the Father. Because what does he do? His reign falls on the righteous and the unrighteous every day. So he says, bless your enemies. If only you bless your friends or love your friends. Even the tax collectors do that. The tax collectors are the most condemned people in the Jewish society, considered the biggest crooks. But he says, even they are good to their friends. A tax collector is good to a tax collector. He says, if you are only good to those who love you, who are good to you, what difference is between you and a tax collector? He says, you need to go beyond that. You cannot stop there. That doesn't make you any different from the world. He says, you need to go beyond that. And this is where we struggle. We understand we need healing in our lives. We need healing in our homes. We need healing in the church. And you know what happened? He says, there is only one way in which that healing flows, where our souls are healed. Our bruises are healed. Our hearts are made one. This is the gospel. And there is no other way. Any other way you go through life, you will be full of unhealed wounds. And the problem is you wound more and more and more people because you hurt people, hurt others. And God said this is the way. Okay. There's an interesting story told, I think it happened in the early 2005 or one of those years. <coughs> it happened in California. Every day, you know, cars get stolen. <coughs> and you go report and they will send an alert. But this time it was different. A car was stolen and the police sent out what they call an all points bulletin to all the places to find this car and to stop this car. Now the reason was not because it was an expensive car or it was a VIP's car. The reason was completely different. The person whose car it was stolen, it was stolen when he went somewhere, in the front seat, he had a box, uh, a packet full of biscuits or crackers. But they were poison-laden crackers which he had bought to kill the rats. Okay? So the fellow who had stolen has no clue. This is a packet full of poisoned crackers. While he's driving, if he eats, he will die. So an all-point bulletin is sent to every emergency, to every check post. If you see this car, stop it! Not to recover the car, but to save his life. Okay? Save his life. The police is desperately trying to find this car, this thief. Not to punish him, but to save him. You know what? That is exactly what a God has been doing for 6,000 years. They are all thieves. He stole his name, his fame, his work, his glory. And God has been pursuing people for 6,000 years. Not to punish us, to save us. And if we die, it is only because we refused his mercy and his grace. Okay, So believers are asked to live a life of righteousness. What is a life of righteousness? How does the righteousness come? Just, justice, result is righteousness. But how does God, how is God just every day? How does he say? He pours his wrath upon his son and shows us mercy. It's the same way. You be hard on yourself. And be soft on others. 
Okay. Be fair with every. Be willing to take injustice upon yourself. Be willing to take injustice. Okay. And honestly, if you take this principle, in one day homes will change. One day homes will change. If the men decide, the husband decide, I will take injustice from my wife and show mercy and compassion only. The wife decides, I will take injustice from my husband and will only show mercy and compassion. Everything will change in one day. The healing of God will come. The son of righteousness will rise with healing under his wings. Everything will change in one day. At least the person who practices will be free. The only free man 2,000 years ago was the one who was hanging on the cross. Absolutely free. Everybody were captives of sin, guilt, anger, wrath, brokenness. You name it, everybody. Only one free man was hanging on the cross. That's what God is asking. Do you see that? By your stripes, the healing will automatically keep flowing into our lives. You know, we all need healing. From the time we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and from there it has only been injustice in so many forms. Because nobody had perfect parents, perfect brethren, perfect friends, perfect teachers, perfect bosses, perfect servants. Nobody had. But God says, you can walk in your healing if you practice this one thing. Be just. Be just. Towards others, be fair and show mercy. Okay, always towards. And when they are unjust to you, what do you do? Don't give it back in the same coin. You should do it. The healing of God will miss you. So he says, you know what? It starts with the home. It starts with the home. Right? So he starts with the wife. What's the next verse after this? First Peter chapter 3 verse 1. The next verse, it starts with the home. The wives likewise submissive to your own husband. What? The fellow who doesn't believe. The fellow who doesn't even believe, obey the word. He's angry. He's lazy. He doesn't care. But you know what do that? You should be fair with him. You be fair with him. <coughs> you be fair with him. And show him mercy. Show him mercy. So he begins with the home. And he begins with the weaker one. He doesn't begin with the stronger one. He begins with the weaker. Oh, believing sister, believing daughter, your husband is a jerk. You know what you need to do? In all your dealings with him, be just. And when he is being a jerk, show mercy. How can you show that? Because all of us were jerks and still are. Before God, we may feel sanctified before men, but we are not sanctified before God. So he begins with the woman, the weaker one. Show mercy, yet be just. In your dealings with the person, be just. And it then comes to the man. In that same chapter, verse 7, he comes to the man. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel. So you have a weaker vessel in the house. You are the just man. And she's less unjust or less just. She's the weaker one there. Let us say a man who's grown in faith and the wife who's not very interested. What is how do you deal? How do you deal? How will you deal? In your dealings with her, be just. And in her dealings with you, now failing, show mercy. Be just. Be just. 
He says, this is the only way salvation will take place in homes. This is the only way. And you put it across in pictures, then the same thing happens with parents, with children. See, it's very easy. Now we have little Atira over here. What does the parent show her every day? In all their dealings with Atira, they are just very fair. In all her dealings with them, they are very merciful. But God said, continue that way. Continue that way. Without perverting truth. Without perverting truth. Continue that way. Continue that way. In other cases, now we prayed in the morning for a a brother, young man, whose parents are unbelievers. Now, when a a young man or a young woman is saved and parents do not believe, then they're going to be really hard on you for your faith. What does God ask you? In all your dealings with them, be fair. Be just. In all their dealings towards you, show mercy and compassion. Compassion. This is how the justice of God works. Until that day, he did not revile. There's nothing found in his mouth. He committed it all into his father's hands. You see how it's working? And verse 8, chapter 3, Finally, all of you be of the same mind. One mind. You cannot have two minds. All of you be of the same mind. What is that? I will show be just in my dealings and I will be merciful in their dealings with me. How that? Having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender hearted. Be courteous. Now the Bible doesn't say love has sisters. It says love has brothers. Why is it that? (laughs) Because the love of brothers and the love of sisters are not the same. It's always a kind of envy among the love of sisters. But the love of brothers in hostels and the military, it's a completely different. They, they least bothered about this thing, a lot of things. The love of brothers are different from the love of sisters. If you look about the love of brothers, there is very, very rarely, there is very, very little envy among them. That they actually they celebrate their uh, friend's success. They enjoy it. They will say, come by Today we are going to break your wallet. Come, let us celebrate yourself. But if you look at the other side, a woman does a little better. They are not able to really, really celebrate. So God says, you know what? Even women need to love each other like the brothers do. The brothers do. Okay? The brothers do. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking generally. There are a lot of sisters who are completely different. What I'm saying is that, honestly, if you look at it, you will see it's completely different. It's completely different. Okay? And God is saying, you know what? Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Be courteous. What does he say in verse 9? Don't retaliate. Don't do that. Don't do that. On the other contrary, bless. Why? You were called to this. It's a calling. It's a call. Christ showed you an example. He called you to this. And he says, this is how you should. This is what it means to be just. Our sense of justice is completely, I want to be proved right. God says, you don't have to be. It's okay. There's a day coming when you will be proved right or wrong. Even if you are proved right here and you by your sheer willpower prove yourself right, on that day if you are proved wrong, what does it matter? What does it matter? Let me ask you this question. For the past 2,000 years, has the majority of humanity proved Jesus right? No, they proved him wrong. Does it change anything? He's still right. And one day every knee will bend down and say, you are right. 
Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. So it does not matter. It does not. He says nobody needs to fight. I'm not talking about fighting your court case for something else. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about you don't have to fight to be proved right over here in your home, in your workplace, none of these things. You have to do what is just and leave it to the hands of God. Leave it to the hands of God. You know what? That's what the Bible says after 13 years. Joseph was vindicated. Vindicated. Vindicated by whom? The Pharaoh. The Pharaoh says the Spirit of God speaks to this man. There is no man like this in the whole land of Egypt. You know what? You will be second to me. Here, take my ring. Everything is under. He was vindicated. Now, will Potiphar's wife say he is guilty? Will Potiphar say he is guilty? Will Joseph's brother say he is guilty? Nobody will say anything. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. He has been vindicated. The justice of his cause is shining like the noonday sun. He's vindicated. The picture of Joseph is put across there to see what will happen. But the thing is this. How was Joseph during all those years? In all his dealings towards his brothers, to Potiphar's family in the prison, he was fair, he was just. And to all those who sinned against him, he only showed mercy. He only showed mercy. He never condemned them. He showed his mercy. Therefore, God was able to vindicate him. That is what it means to be just. Be just. Show my love mercy and walk humbly before God. And what does God do? He will resist the enemy for you and through you and give you so much grace to go through those days of your life. There's no other way. To this we were called. Even if you don't know what is your calling in the word, in the kingdom of God, if you know this calling, that's enough. You will discover the other. If you discover the other without fulfilling this calling, it will mean nothing in eternity. The Bible says, don't retaliate. Don't do it. Bless. That's how your God is. And verse 10. For he would, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. What does it say? Let's watch your words. Watch your words. Why? 99% of the trouble is caused by words. Or 90% of the trouble in life is caused by words. You just watch your words. Okay? Two eyes, two ears, one mouth with 32 centuries. <laughs> A fortress. Okay. 32 centuries. Okay. Watch your words. Verse 11. Watch your actions. Let him turn away from evil and do good. It's not enough to turn away from evil. It is not enough. Do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Okay. Do you know what happens, God says, when you live this way? What is the reason? Verse 12. The reason is given. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who are the righteous? Who do live justly. How do they do justly? They're always fair to others. They'll always say, Lord, in my actions, let me be fair. Let me be fair. And in their actions towards me, let me be always be merciful. Give them the benefit of doubt. Always give them the benefit of doubt. That's why the Bible says, quick to listen, slow to anger. 
slow to speak and slow to anger. Quick to listen. You know what? What happens is that if you're quick to listen, you will always realize the fact that you gave them the benefit of doubt worked in your favor. You know, suddenly after listening for a little time, you will understand why they reacted that way. And it was got nothing to what you thought they were doing. The reason was something else triggered it. And you were not the cause. You were not the cause. You were not the cause. Usually we react immediately because when your spouse says something or your child says something or your boss says something, you want to give it back because you think you are the cause. Most of the times you are not the cause. It was something else which is they've been meditating on. Unresolved things. Okay, so God says give them the benefit of doubt. You will see it's so easy to resolve conflicts. Easy to resolve conflicts. And we can. And the Bible says. That's what the Bible is talking about. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against who do evil. <coughs> what is the reason? Because he who and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Who is that? They will not harm you. But even in abnormal conditions, when even if you do good, abnormal condition, even if you do good, they will harm you. What happens? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. You are blessed. In normal condition, he says, you know, if you do good, somebody will not harm you. But if we will moving into abnormal times, where even if you do good, they will harm you. When wickedness and lawlessness, the angels did no harm in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord did no harm to them. They are willing to do bad harm, evil on them. So we are moving, living in evil times. But he says, when you are living in evil times, because of your righteousness sake, where you are just fair with them, and you have only shown mercy, they do harm to you, like what happened to Joseph. They did harm to you. He never did any harm to his brothers. He only served him, but they did harm to you. He never did any harm to Potiphar. He only did good, but they harmed him. Bible says, you are blessed. You are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Bible is talking about when you are just and these things happen, don't be troubled. Because there is a day that is coming when you will be vindicated when you will be blessed, when you will be rewarded. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What do you need to do? Those are loaded sentences, a message in itself. You have to sanctify God in your hearts. What does it mean? Don't start murmuring against God. Lord, why is this happening? Sanctify God in your heart. What you should say? He is just, he is righteous, all his ways are right. I will never question God's ways towards me. Because you know what? God is good all the time. Sanctify God in your hearts. Sanctify God in your hearts. That's what Job's wife did not do. She said, curse God. She did not sanctify God in his heart. No? Job sanctified God in his heart. Even in his arguments, he's not questioning God. He's questioning, where did I go wrong? So that's why God says, about me, when he spoke, he did not speak anything wrong. No? Naomi did not sanctify God in her heart. When evil happened in our life, 
Bad things happen in our life. That's what God is talking about. We have to be very, very careful because bad things will happen to good people because we are living in a wicked world which is under the sway of the wicked one. He says, be very, very careful when you go through this. Sanctify God in your heart. Why? He's always righteous. He's always good. He's always gracious. He's always merciful. So, sanctify God in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And then people people ask you, why are you like this? Why don't you give it back? Why don't you give it back? No, your neighbor did this to you. Why don't you give it back? Why do you say? Because God didn't give it back to me. That's when you stand up and declare who your God is. Who your God is. That's your witness. You know what? This is who I was. Don't tell them who they are. This is who I was. This is what I was. You know what I deserve? This is what I deserve. Do you know what God did? He sh- was just towards me. He took my punishment upon himself and released his mercy and grace upon me. That's your witness. That's your witness. And what is that? That is the righteousness of God imputed in you. With meekness and fear. With great meek, not with pride. With meekness and fear. Otherwise, what will happen? You can get trapped. That's what I am talking about. We are saved by faith, from faith unto faith, unto faith, unto faith, nowhere. That's what the problem with Job was. It was not Job was a good, bad man. He was the best man around. The problem is, he's, after the more good he did, the more he started putting trust in his goodness. That's what the Bible says. Always God. The first doorway is always pride. And the problem with a righteous man is he's proud of his righteousness. He becomes proud of his righteousness. Everything the Pharisees said was true. This is what I am. This is what he is. Everything he said was true. You know? And the problem is when pride gets in, the spirit of condemnation comes not upon self, upon others. Next week we will look at from Romans 14. How do you be just with the weaker ones within the family, within the body of Christ and in the world? How do you be just? Because we need to be just. How to be fair with the weaker ones? If you think you are strong, how do you bear the weaknesses of the others so that you can be right in God's sight? With meekness and with fear. Right? Having a Good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. They are ashamed. They, are, they, they, they cannot. That's what happened to Judas. <laughs> right? Judas, once he found Jesus was condemned, he knew Jesus was innocent. And he was ashamed. You know what he did? He went back and said, you know what? I don't want this money. Thinking Jesus would be released. He didn't know it was a whole setup. He's not going to be released. You know, they said, what has God to do with you? Take your money. He threw it and he went and he hung himself. Okay. God says, don't worry. They'll hang themselves. They will hang themselves. They will be tormented. I don't think Potiphar's wife or Potiphar ever slept well. They were tormented. And once Joseph is made prince of Egypt, they were even more tormented because Joseph won't show anything. He will never talk question that. He will always show only kindness and mercy. 
His kindness, that is why the Bible says it will be like red hot coals on their head. The more kind you are to the people who have been evil to you, the more tormented they are. It is their pride that stops them from coming and saying, please will you forgive me? But they are tormented. The king could not sleep. But Daniel is fast asleep in the lion's den. He is rested. The king is not able. Oh, early morning he wakes up and Daniel, the servant of the most high God. He says, I'm good. God bless you, king. Because the king knows he was unjust and Daniel was just. So the Bible is saying, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. You know, this is part of being just. When you are just, you may have to suffer. You may have to suffer according to the will of God to suffer for doing good and not doing evil. That's why we are called not to judge. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not be judged. Don't judge others. Okay. God does is by this when he says judge not, he's not meaning you should not judge. He says don't judge the way the world judges. The world judges for evil, they give back evil. He says when you judge, show mercy. Because you cannot show mercy unless you judge. He says, you know, always give them the benefit of doubt. Always. You know, you go on to their side and argue for them. We say in English, get into the other person's shoes. And think, what must have made them do this? And make all the excuses for them. Make all the excuses for them. All the excuses for them. You know what that? For with what judgment you judge, <coughs> you will be judged. With what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What is the measure you want to be measured by God? Mercy. Lord, with my neighbor, justice. With you, Lord, please show mercy. Okay. God says, what do you want? You want mercy or justice? Lord, of course mercy. So just show mercy. Same measurement. You know the Lord's Prayer, the loaded line in the Lord's Prayer, the catch-22 situation there. Forgive us our debtors as we, as, 50%, 50 50%, 60-60, 80-80, 90-90, 100-100. Lord, I want 100 from you, but only 10 this year. God said, it doesn't work, Lord. You didn't get your math, you didn't learn from Pastor Vijay math. If you had learned it directly, you would have showed it correctly. That's not how it works. 100 here, Hundred there. That is why even in the beatitude there is a word called obtain. Obtain is not free. You have to obtain it. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. How did God give mercy? Freely. He says freely. We like about money. Prat preachers will come and freely you have received, freely you press down, shaken together. Now God is talking. What about mercy? How did we receive mercy? How did we? Freely. How? Pressed down. Shaken together. I mean, you kids don't understand. When we grew up, that's how we bought market in the, rice in the market. They had those containers in which, you know, and they will shake it nicely. And pray. We will say, no, shake it nicely. Because they will try to heap it. No, no, shake it nicely, <laughs> then heap it. You know? 
Otherwise, you get, when you go back home, your quantity is less. So first we'll say, keep on and shake, 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 shake. And then heap on top. You know, how did God do? Shh, pressed down, shaken together, heaped, and he poured mercy upon us. He said, give like that. You'll receive like that. Receive like that. Leave judgment to those who have been entrusted with judgment. Leave it to them. And ultimately it is God. God has set a day for it. Genesis 18 and verse 25. Far be it you to do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked. So the righteous should be as the wicked. Far free from it you shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Absolutely. Of course. I will be always just. Eternal response. Revelation 16 and verse 7. I heard another word from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Ultimately, all the eternity, all of universe will realize, you know, God was always just. He's always kind, always was merciful. We rejected his mercy. We rejected his grace. Although most of the world, or I don't know how many, will reject it. People go to hell. Not because God wasn't compassionate or kind or merciful. He was. But a tipping point came. So we never, people will go, what about this one, that one? You see, I always did. You never have to question God's justice or his mercy. If any man can be redeemed, he will be redeemed. Because God will go to the uttermost to save man. He has gone already. That's where Romans 1.17 is so important. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Why does God say walk by faith? When you walk by faith, how do you walk by faith? What is your response, your daily attitude? You are just and you are merciful. Then only the righteousness of God is demonstrated. Why? How did God impute righteousness upon us, declare us righteousness? Because he was just and the justifier. He poured his wrath upon his son and showed mercy. God says, you know what? Judge yourself severely and show others mercy. Judge yourself severely. Whenever you're in a conflict, judge, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe. Maybe judge yourself severely. Show mercy to the other person. You know what happened? God says when you walked, the righteousness of God is being demonstrated. But you know what happened? The Pharisees were exactly the opposite. And the prodigal son's brother was exactly that. Exactly that. He didn't understand the, the heart of the father at all. At all. At all. He didn't understand the heart of the father at all. And he was standing outside unwilling to get in. So, as we close, we are called to be this. Out in the world, people are under the penalty and the power of sin. What should we be to do towards them? We need to save them. <laughs> and you can be only save them when we walk in justice and in mercy. Just towards, in our ways in which we deal with them and very merciful when they fail. In the church, we have people who are under the power of sin, freed from the penalty of sin, but still under the power of sin. What does God say? Bear with them. Bear with them. And that's what Peter was saying. God is saying. Husband who is saved, wife who is not, be just and merciful. 
wife who is saved and husband is not, be just and merciful. Parents who are saved and children are not, be just and merciful. Children who are saved and parents who are not, be just and merciful. Boss who is saved and employees are not, be just and merciful. Employees who are saved and boss is not, be just and merciful. Okay. Landlords who are not saved and tenants who are, okay. I mean, we face this all around. And God says, what is your response? The response is always the same. Wherever it is, the response is there. In your dealings with them, be fair. Be fair. In your dealings with them, fair. And I'll tell you a secret, okay? You know my office on the other side. Okay. Yeah, the landlord is not here. We have two tenants. I'm down, he's up. They pay at least 3,000 more than me. The rent. The same. Absolutely identical. Actually, mine is better. They pay at least 3,000 more than me. For them, I am a Gentile. Right? I'm the Christian. They are all Hindus. Okay? From the day I took till today, he has never increased the rent. I do. Every year. Why? Because we have to be just to them. We have to be just to them. Okay. He never asks. I increase every year. So you know what? Till today, my rent and upstairs, if you look at it, you know what? There's a huge difference between our rent. Do I tell the upstairs fellow? No. Then he will go and fight with the landlord. That's not my job. Okay. What I'm telling you is that, you know, in all our dealings, okay, and why do we do that? Because you know, you always have to believe, you know what? The earth and the fullness belongs to my father. When I am being just to somebody else, I will never run out. By being just to somebody, you are not going to lose. You are not going to lose. Okay? You are not going to lose. Okay? In life, in anything, you have to be like that. You have to be like that. Okay? One of the lessons which God has taught me is that, now, of course, being years. He, once he rebuked me very sharply. He said, never argue with auto drivers. How much is he asking extra? 20 rupees. Does it make any difference to you? No. Then why are you arguing with him? No, it's unjust. I know. But have you been just? Don't argue with them. Don't argue with them. Accept injustice. He's being unjust. Okay. Your meter is, does, does your meter always work? If I were to put a meter on your head, does your meter work? No. I'm, I'm trying to be practical. I'm practical. Right? Okay. When you go to a grocery store, supermarket, we don't, we don't argue. Do we, let me go to the, let me ask you, when you go to a supermarket, do you argue? Don't you argue with the poor lady who's selling on this thing? Huh? Can you, can't you receive 50 by 700? Don't you argue with them? God says, why do you? See, the Walmart fellow who is making his billions, you don't argue with him. The poor lady who cultivates something in a yard, brings it and sits on the road, you will say, no, reduce it. God says, no, it is not just. He says, why don't you accept that injustice? Why don't you accept that injustice? There are fundamental lessons which God teaches you. How to be just with others. Justice others. 
You know what? Once you are consistently like that, you know, they will always say, you know what? These Christians are different. In their dealings with us, they are different. They are different. You know what? Because we are very fair in our dealings with them. Because that's how God is. God is. And when they are unfair with us, you know what? They're always merciful. They're always merciful. We are not unkind. When we leave, we bless them and leave. If they ask us to vacate, we clean, we fix everything. We never leave. I mean, when I have mood, even that little gap on that AC, this thing, I get the mason to come, clean it up, paint it and leave. Because when we leave, that's our testimony. No, I want. No notice, nothing. Somebody is coming. You need to move. Okay, they were not just. When we leave, you know what? I want to show you how I am going to leave. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will show you how I leave. You will regret you asked me to move out of this place. <laughs> no. No, I'm not going to give back. What is that? Your dip. Keep it. You can keep it. Just because you did not give my deposit back, I am not going to leave your house without repairing the taps. I will still do that. So you know what? When you come back and check your house and find everything is left in the way you gave it to me and you don't give me deposit, you will be miserable. I am free. I am absolutely cool. I am absolutely free. But you know you will be miserable. We are talking about practical things in life. This is what Christianity always was. Okay. And don't change it. This is where our freedom lies. As an individual, in a family, in a church, in your office place, everything. Even when you shift from one job to another. Okay. You know what happens? You already got another job. You got two weeks notice period. No, relax. No. Finish everything. See, all your files are clear. Nothing is pending. So that when you leave, you meet your boss and you know what? Thank you so much. I just want to thank you for everything. And every time I left my job, my bosses cried. They didn't want me to leave. They cried. They were reluctant to take the rest I said, I need to go. There's nothing pending. Everything is clear. Everything is done. Everything is here. You know what? And they were all Gentiles. You know, it was not me. Because I knew when I left behind, I need to leave a testimony behind that my God is different. My God is not about us. My God is different. Our God is different. Our God is not the word. We are just fair in dealing with other people. You know? And you know what? Leave a testimony behind. And you know it's not my testimony. Without Christ, would I ever be in this? No. Eye for an eye, tooth for it, one for two tooth, teeth. You take one from me, I'll take five from you. Without Christ, that is what we would have been. Who changed us? Christ changed us. And why are we merciful? Because we re realize we are recipients of God's mercy every day. He, he does not deal with us any day as according to our sins. Not a single day does he deal with us. Therefore, we have to show that mercy. Have to show. Okay, have to show. And you will always see you will have favor. You will have always favor. You know, that's what. And if they do evil to you, he says rejoice. If you haven't done any harm, they do evil to rejoice because you are suffering for righteousness sake. Great is your reward on the other side. So I said Jesus was the only free man on that day hanging from the cross. Absolutely free. Owed no man anything except the debt of love and that also Father forgive them. Benefit of doubt. They don't know what they are doing. See? 
is giving the benefit of doubt. They don't know what they are doing. Please forgive them, Lord. Just forgive them. Amen. Shall pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. You are teaching us, Lord, how to be like our Father. So that one day, Lord, you can be glad as a Father, saying that like Father, like children, just like me. We are not. We are on the way. And you have shown us the way. And we've been called to this way. To be just and merciful. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Teach us, Lord. Teach us. Sometimes we ask, why are there so many problems in our life, in our homes? To teach us how to be just, how to be merciful, how to be kind, how to be compassionate, how to be good, and yet never turn from that truth of who you are. That's how you walked on earth, full of grace and full of truth. Help us to walk like you, Lord. I thank you for your people here, the babies here, the children here, every one of them, and all who are listening. And I bless them in your name. Change us, Lord. Doesn't matter what happens to the outer man. It's anyway perishing. But the inner man changes from glory to glory. As you are. Make us kinder, better, more loving, more patient, more long-suffering, more cheerful, more like you each day. And yet standing on that rock, that is the truth of who you are. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Help us, Lord. Each one of us, in our lives, in our homes. So that we can give everyone who asks us the reason for our hope. The Christ in us is the hope of our glory. Commit the rest of the day into thy hands, the evening Q&A into thy hands. Go with us, go before us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.